Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. On today's episode of Untold Stories, you guys are in for a treat because we have the CEO of Crypto.com, Chris Marsalik, on the show today. And why is it so exciting? Because Chris was able to do something that I couldn't do back in 2012. I tried launching the first Bitcoin debit card, and not only that, but have a lot more products to answer the question, how do we spend and use cryptocurrency? That's the question that Chris asks himself and lives by every single day. We talk about the different products that he's launched super professionally now that the big boys are in the room and why infrastructure is so important. We also talked about what's going on in Hong Kong and how that's affecting the crypto community over there. So listen, enjoy the ads and I'll talk to you guys right after. How do you actually live your life on crypto? How do you do it? I've been doing it since I first got started with Bitcoin back in, what, like 2011. But since 2016, I've been using the BitPay debit card to spend my Bitcoin on a day-to-day basis. And it's been such a great product that I've been using it for over three years. BitPay is now sponsoring Untold Stories, and they're going to be giving away free Visa debit cards to all my listeners. All you have to do is visit bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. It's such an easy card to use. You get the card in the mail, you download the BitPay app, you put Bitcoin on the app, and when you want to send Bitcoin from the app into your debit card, it only takes a few seconds and you can spend your Bitcoin anywhere credit cards are offered. It's really so easy. You almost wonder like, why didn't this come out in 2011 when Bitcoin first launched? Well, it was very difficult to do. In fact, I actually tried to launch my own debit card, but I wasn't able to because the credit card companies were very reluctant to do it. But now BitPay launched their product and a lot of other companies have launched credit cards and debit cards using Bitcoin over the years. I still will only use the BitPay card. I'm very loyal to the brands I like um, and I hope you guys are too. The fees are very low. You can use it to withdraw cash at ATMs. You can use it all around the world with very, very low fees. A lot of companies have tacked on like super high fees, and I don't like that. So check it out, bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. That's bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. You get a free card. You don't have to pay for it. Usually the card costs like 10 bucks or more. There's a commitment, but you don't have to do that here. It's a free card. There's literally no reason to not try it out. I've been using it for over three years. So check it out. I'm super excited to share that we're now working with Bitpanda here at Untold Stories. Bitpanda is a leading European platform for investing in digital assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Their core product is an easy-to-use crypto on-ramp and digital asset broker with over a million users. How cool is that? You can not only trade crypto like Bitcoin and Ether, but you can also trade digitized gold and around 30 other digital assets. What's amazing about Bitpanda is how easy it is to set up an account within minutes and get going with the minimum amount of just one euro. So make sure you check out Bitpanda. They are a sponsor of Untold Stories. I love them, especially if you're in Europe or anywhere in the world, bitpanda.com. Thank you so much, guys. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I wanna do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them, and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the BlockWorks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at BlockWorksGroup.io. That's BlockWorksGroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. As Bitcoin and the crypto industry grew over the past few years, a lot of skeptics would say to me, well, Charlie, it's great to have a good store of value. It's great to have a good system of of transferring that value. Like, I get that. Sound money, um, Federal Reserve is bad, government's bad, blah, blah, blah. Like, um, 
I get it. Printing money manipulation. But, you know, the real financial people, what they would say to me, um, and, and as much as I um, love crypto, I, I had to agree with them. Um, for real money to succeed and to have sound money, um, you need real infrastructure behind it. What is that? For example, um, most importantly, they would say, is you need the credit markets, right? Um, the ability to borrow against your assets, the ability to lend out your money and let it earn interest. Without that, without that infrastructure, you know, what banks are supposed to be providing, you know, what, what, what banks are really for, without that, um, you really can't have a sound money. My guest today, Chris Mashalik, who is originally from Poland, actually, launched a company, Crypto.com, that you guys all know today, um, that provides these services uh, very smoothly and very easily. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Charlie. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. So I want to get into your, you know, your your early days and your and your humble beginnings. But the the question I have for you is the first question, really, that I that I was thinking about earlier is that did you did you realize that this infrastructure that this ability was so needed in the crypto space to have the ability for people to borrow and lend against their their crypto assets i actually look at it from a slightly different perspective we always begin with the customer so we look at uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency as simply building blocks that allow us to build more attractive uh, products um, for the customer so if if it means that you can you know process payments faster and cheaper or land uh, instantaneously uh, i mean whichever uh, product financial product you, you you take you can pretty much improve uh, every single one of them with blockchain and with cryptocurrency. Oh, interesting. So you went from the consumer perspective. I'm thinking of this from the perspective of the. I'm thinking of this from the perspective of the as the industry needs to grow. And I guess you you killed two birds with one stone, for lack of a better term. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly the way it is. And look, you know, uh, building uh, the fiat on ramp, fiat off ramp, all the. Uh, necessary infrastructure to make these products work is not particularly glamorous. It's kind of like a plumber's job, right? Uh, but it needs to be done uh, in order for this industry to grow. And there's so many examples of this happening. Like uh, everybody was talking about, you know, institutional money coming into this space, right? Institutional money coming until digital asset custody is properly solved, right, and properly built. And over the last two years, a lot of smart people in this industry work tirelessly to get it done. I mean, this infrastructure is simply badly needed and is essential before we can actually scale the industry. That's a very good point. Um, the way I look at it is like Bitcoin and crypto and your MCO token and um, all these things are great. And they're great to hold. They're great to speculate. They're great to spend. But at the end of the day... If you want, if you want to get a mortgage on on a house, if you want to be able to keep your money in crypto long term, and actually, because at the end of the down the road, I mean, I hate to say it, but down the road, volatility in crypto is going to go away. It's just the way it's built. Um, the volatility is crazy right now. It'll be for for in the next maybe I don't know ten years, five years, one eight, who knows? But down the road for Bitcoin and and the you know, crypto to become a, a store of value, volatility needs to, to go down to a point where people are comfortable holding it long term. But then what will incentivize people um, for holding it? And what will incentivize people for saying, I have this asset, I need to start earning money on it. And you provide that service. Um, I'm actually in the lending industry myself. And I'll, I want to give you some parallels after. But what do you think of what I just said? No, this is. Uh, I agree with you that volatility is just a function of the size of the market and and the liquidity. Right, the, the bigger uh, crypto gets, uh, uh, the smaller volatility we will see. But in order for crypto to get big, it needs to be useful it needs to solve real problems for customers. Exactly my point. Without it being useful, um, at the end of the day, what what is it? And so your 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 space has exploded 
um, I think you're the market leader, one of the market leaders, because you provide the ability for um, not only borrowing, but also lending. Uh, your rates are extremely competitive. I think I, I read that it's around 8%. And you also have, um, as a points junkie myself, points and miles, you're, you also launched your Visa card or a few different Visa cards, which are pretty cool too. Um, but your, your space is, I think in the past, like maybe year, um, I mean, you have Nexo, BlockFi, um, Salt was one of the first ones, but I'm not really hearing about them much anymore. But the space has really gotten crazy in the past year. Yeah, so we are the only player today that uh, has everything uh, under one roof. So you've got uh, the best Visa uh, card with the best you know, cashback terms, metal card, premium product. Um, it's, it's, it's not only... Mm, it's actually uh, competitive against any Visa card out there issued by any bank. So it's uh, it's a cool product. We've got um, uh, you know our credit product, our interest earning product. So uh, there are other players in the space who have individual uh, items. Uh, we have everything, and uh, the advantage that we get from this is that we actually get the scale of distribution through our payment products. We bring a lot of users in. And then we can uh, offer them additional services. So over time, uh, it's hard for uh, players who just are monoliners, if you will, uh, to have just a single product to compete. So they will essentially try to copy what we are doing with, you know, launching a card, you know, launching an app that buys and sells crypto um, uh, to basically have the full coverage. The problem with this approach is that this gets incredibly complex from the point of view of uh, staying nimble and improving your products. And you know you need to be able to run multiple roadmaps at the same time. Different products have different issues from the compliance and regulatory standpoint. Uh, it just makes your entire organization extremely complex. Uh, so how we are handling this is we're just scaling our engineering very fast in Hong Kong, and we just opened the China office to, to continue adding more engineering talent. And we will compete. Com- we'll, we have everything we need to outcompete people in terms of being able to offer a broad range of products, but uh, still being faster than guys who just do one thing and do it well. Yeah, well, you know what it is? Um, I hate to say it to, to a lot of my friends, but a lot of the things that you, can, that you are doing now were conceptualized very early on in the crypto space, but there was a lack of talent. And I and I include myself in there. I'll give you an example. I don't know if you know this, but I tried to launch a, a, a Bitcoin debit card in 2013. It was very difficult. It was, and I could, I wasn't able to do it. Um, we had everything going right for us. We had MasterCard on board. We had uh, the cards printed and we had the infrastructure built, but I was very young and naive. And what, I was so excited about it that I actually teased a picture of it on IRC one, like at three o'clock in the morning, you know, I, I showed a picture. I was like, who's excited for this? And someone saw it and published it. And like three days later, it's on CNN and the MasterCard agreement hadn't been solidified yet. And I basically lost because of that. The whole deal was, was lost. Um, I guess my point is that we were kids, right? And so until you came along and a lot of other, the, 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 the players in the space, um, that infrastructure couldn't be built because we had no experience building it. Yeah, I think you can, there's plenty of examples of people who are too early in the market, right? Um, but there's also a function of availability of capital uh, you know, for uh, blockchain crypto startups. It, it, it's completely different now uh, versus 2013. Uh, the size of the market is, 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 is bigger. And um, you know it's it's always difficult to recruit world class talent, uh, but it's definitely easier uh, if you if you're well capitalized and in a hot industry. Um, and you know to to build those complex products, you need best people in the world to work on this, right? So uh, uh, I think it's it's a you know it's not really black and white. It's uh, it's a complex issue. It is. So tell me about how you guys get started. Tell me about how you got started in the space and some of the first people that you met um, along the way. 
So um, I started uh, uh, the company together with my three co-founders in June 2016. So uh, one could say we were, you know, we felt at that time we were pretty late to the party. And we started from the fintech side. So again, we started with the card product and focused on on the perks like uh, uh, perfect internet exchange rates and just doing a better, better job than a bank. It was at that time a very uh, trending topic. Uh, companies like Revolut were just started, just getting, uh, just launched, and you know they, they, they were getting their first rounds of funding. So we thought we're gonna we're gonna uh, pursue the same uh, type of. Uh, a product with you know a card that is just better than the bank. Don't let the bank rip you off. That was the initial thought. Uh, How did you get Visa to 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 agree to do this with you? Wow, that was a, a long process. I think uh, the first meetings with our card issuers happened in August 2016, right? And we actually went live with the first program in uh, September October 2018. So you know the the boom of 2017 actually slowed us down because uh, the, the, the card schemes got uh, very cautious uh, and we had to spend you know, a ton of time uh, demonstrating how are we going to run this business in a fully compliant way that doesn't pose any reputation risks to them. Right, so so the, the boom of 2017 actually slowed us down, and I think we were the only program globally that was approved by Visa that year. So um, we actually looked at uh, at, the, at at crypto as a way for us to differentiate our product versus the typical changer banks, and we looked at it as a way for us. Um, to enter market with a product that will get us distribution. I think entrepreneurs, generally speaking, don't spend in, spend too much time thinking about, you know, how am I going to build a product and not enough time about uh, how I'm going to get it to, into uh, a lot of people's hands. So we viewed the cryptocurrency as, as, as the angle that will make us more competitive versus typical challenger banks and will allow us to scale the business. And today we've got, you know, uh, roughly eight hundred thousand people who download our app, and we are eight hundred thousand. Yeah, we are growing roughly twenty percent month over month, so likely to hit a million in September. Tell me some like metrics that you see. What what do you, what do you, you know? You you look at you're looking from like a an overview, and so give my listeners some like untold data. Right, it was called untold <laughs> stories. Maybe I'll do another show called untold data, but like. You know, I guess what I mean is that crypto is a socioeconomic experiment, right? Like that's what it is. It's it's science, it's math, but it's also it's like how we as human beings globally act, react, use, spend, save this concept of money that's not um, controlled or um, I'm not going to say manipulated, but also just not like fiat, not by federal decree, not government um, created currency. And so if anything, this whole thing is a great, you know, study of, of socioeconomics, you have a lot of data, right? Like you, you're having, like you said, uh, over half a million people using, uh, crypto for, for, for buying, selling, um, for spending, for investing, for saving, for earning and for lending. So what kind of data do you see that, kind of like makes you take a step back that makes you say huh i didn't i didn't know that or that's interesting yeah, so in principle um i'm very careful with uh, sharing too much i think it's it's extremely important today how quickly you iterate on the uh, on the product with the data that you gather from usage right and uh, you know the rapid iteration and product release cycles, collecting data and seeing what works for the customer and releasing another version, right? This is how uh, you compete. This is how you run circles around pe other people in the market. So we, folk, we, generally speaking, give a very high level data, like you know, number of users who download our app. We don't go into the details because it's just too valuable. And, uh, but I'll tell you one thing, which is a macro stat, right? Uh, if we compare our 
you know, you, you can, some people view us as kind of banking alternative for the cryptocurrency holder, right? Because um, we've got the card product, we've got the payment product, we've got lending, borrowing, and, and whatnot. We've got the full suite, basically. So if I compare our stats uh, in terms of, for example, uh, you know, average funds uh, held in, uh, in, in the account uh, per, per active user, right, versus a typical challenger bank, uh, it tells me one thing. Yes, crypto is still a niche, but it's definitely much more healthy a business than uh, a typical challenger bank. Um, so basically, people trust us with more money. They transact more frequently, and the numbers just look good. So I was kind of like testing you there, right? I wanted to see. You know, I wasn't, but that's a good. That's a good point. Like you said, in a world where we don't have our data and we don't control our data. A lot of companies and people are, are very focused on like the first time, the first day on selling that data that they have with their customers. Um, you know, there was a whole scandal with Uber with like God mode, right? Like um, them being able to see every car around the world in real time. And that's that's kind of a scary thought. Look, if you look at what drives us at Crypto.com uh, is the potential to have an impact. Because at a very fundamental level, what uh, the, the blockchain technology uh, gives you is ability to build just a healthier society. We always talk about the, the fact that we can actually give people back the control of their money, of their data, and eventually their identity. If you look at the broader context today, right, you've got companies like Facebook and Google who've got, you know, they know more about you than your own mom. Right? They've got so much data on this, uh, on, 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 on their users. It's just scary. And on the other side of the spectrum, you've got governments who uh, right now has have in some cases, access to real-time transaction information of billions of people. Um, they have HD cameras you know, rolled out, you know, like tens of millions of them connected to facial recognition and AI. So this is an environment where both large tech companies and governments are in a position where they can overreach. And I don't people don't care today. Today they don't care. I agree with you. You and I care because we're from from a, a different generation. Look, they don't care now, but they will care ten years from now. They will care because things will happen. I hope so. And um, you know, my, my 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 son is now two and a half years old, right? I don't want to. Uh, I don't want him to live in a society which is just basically a surveillance state, right? And uh, uh, it's just not healthy. So with blockchain. Uh, we have we have the opportunity to to affect the very fabric of the society to 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 build products that actually give the control like level the playing field between you know big tech government and uh, and the people and I don't think there is too many areas uh, in technology where you can you can get that so what I've learned is that. Uh, uh, when you're building a company, if you, uh, having the potential to make an impact like this is very important uh, in terms of attracting uh, the right type of talent, people who really want to make a difference. Uh, without having this type of um, mm, ambitious goals, uh, you just can't attract people who really do change the world. And obviously, there's always the gap. You know, How do you take this kind of lofty goal and how do you translate it into you know a, a product or a feature that works for the customer right uh, uh, and and that's something that every company uh, needs to think about but you need to have lofty goals otherwise the team you're going to build is not going to be the right team to actually make an impact you need to inspire them too yeah i mean if if it's if it was all just about money, I don't think I don't think people would just get out of the bed in the morning. And uh, no, and that's the beautiful thing about crypto talent is that something you have to inspire them, but at the same time they're inspired by crypto, and they love it so much that there's like that we're all in this together mentality that I I love, and you find it all over the world when you travel. It's like you know you kind of joke. It's like 
Yeah, I go visit someone's company's office and they, and I, they introduce me to all their staff members and they'll say, this is this guy, this is this girl. Um, they love crypto. And then they say, oh, here's this guy. He didn't know about crypto before, but now he loves it. And usually that person who, who got involved in crypto because he started working for this company is the one who loves it the most. And you could see he's got the, the HODL t-shirt on and the Binance hoodie. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to see. Speaking of which... Um, we had, we had CZ on the show along, uh, a few weeks ago. And he, he said that when he was first launching Binance, he actually, uh, he mentioned he was at a dinner and you were there. And at that dinner, he was talking to people about starting Binance. And he said that dinner or that meeting inspired him to actually go forward with, with launching the company. Yeah, there was, um, there was a lot of good people, and uh, that was in Chengdu in 2017, in the middle of this uh, hot market. So crazy bull market. Yeah, crazy bull market. I think everybody who was in the industry at that time in China was there. It's like a, a big hot pot dinner. Um, it's quite funny, you know, because people don't know this, but for our own ICO, um, from uh, the moment. Uh, I uh, uh, I learned about you know this uh, this whole phenomenon and uh, and that I saw people doing it you know in a very rapid way. It took us nine working days to launch it. So during that time, we've uh, you know we've registered a company, got lawyers on board, got you know security audits done. We bought a domain, rebranded the whole thing, built the website, the whole thing, right? In nine working days. So at that dinner, I you know I, I told this story to CZ, and uh, and and I told him you have to do it now because in fundraising, timing is everything. It's more important yes. than you know how beautiful your white paper is or how ready you are. And I think timing is everything in fundraising. That's what I've learned from my previous uh, entrepreneurial adventures, right? And then after the dinner, he went back to his team. They, you know, they prepared the white paper. You know, they, I provided some tiny feedback. It was already very good, so there was not much I could have contributed to to, to this, but. Uh, they ran it, and they also done it in a in a matter of two weeks or so. So this uh, this worked really well for them, and obviously we stayed in touch after that as well. How do you actually live your life on crypto? How do you do it? I've been doing it since I first got started with Bitcoin back in what, like 2011. But since 2016, I've been using the BitPay debit card to spend my Bitcoin on a day-to-day basis. And it's been such a great product that I've been using it for over three years. BitPay is now sponsoring Untold Stories, and they're going to be giving away free Visa debit cards to all my listeners. All you have to do is visit bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. It's such an easy card to use. You get the card in the mail, you download the BitPay app, you put Bitcoin on the app, and when you want to send Bitcoin from the app into your debit card, it only takes a few seconds and you can spend your Bitcoin anywhere credit cards are offered. It's really so easy. You almost wonder, like, why didn't this come out in 2011 when Bitcoin first launched? Well, it was very difficult to do. In fact, I actually tried to launch my own debit card, but I wasn't able to because the credit card companies were very reluctant to do it. But now BitPay launched their product and a lot of other companies have launched credit cards and debit cards using Bitcoin over the years. I still will only use the BitPay card. I'm very loyal to the brands I like um, and I hope you guys are too. The fees are very low. You can use it to withdraw cash at ATMs. You can use it all around the world with very, very low fees. A lot of companies have tacked on like super high fees, and I don't like that. So check it out, bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. That's bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. You get a free card. You don't have to pay for it. Usually the card costs like 10 bucks or more. There's a commitment, but you don't have to do that here. It's a free card. There's literally no reason to not try it out. I've been using it for over three years. So check it out. And thanks for listening to Untold Stories. 
All right, so I hope you didn't skip my ad because in the early part of the episode, we talked about how Bitpanda is working with us here at Untold Stories. Bitpanda is the leading European platform for investing in digital assets. I really like Bitpanda's approach. Why? I'll tell you why. So don't skip. Basically, what they're doing is to apply the same tech you're used to from Bitcoin to other digital assets. So, for example, you trade real precious metals like gold and silver on their platform 24-7 with ultra-low fees. And what's really cool is that you can trade gold and silver and these other precious metals with other assets like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptos that they support. So in a nutshell, Bitpanda is advocating the tokenization topic. So they want to bring financial products like stocks, ETFs, and more to everybody who uses their platform anywhere in the world. So check them out, bitpanda.com. Support my sponsors. Have a great day. In the world of, of ICOs, there are a lot of obvious, you know, obvious scams, but there are a lot of projects that had good intentions and they just failed. They launched in the bull market. They didn't have the experience. You know, you give a company a lot of money. It's very easy, you know, you, for, for shit to happen. You see just a few days ago with, with Reggie Middleton and Veritasium, you know, a lot of crazy nonsense going on. There's just a lot of nonsense. Like I would say like 95%. Your ICO... Um, and your product, you could probably count like the success, like the successful ones, the ones that actually turned out a real product. Um, you could probably count them on like your hands and toes. Right. Um, and yours, one of them. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the show, but just doing my research, um, you, you could plainly see that. Um, so you're, you're, you know, you are going against a statistic, right? Like you, the statistic says that you were going to fail and so far you haven't and, and you've built an amazing product with over half a million users. Um, how did you do that? And how did you kind of go against the stigma? And how did you avoid, um, you know, how did you avoid uh, the issue of earning, you know, uh, raising a lot of money so quickly and spending it the right way and building a, a business model. So there's there's few things here to unpack. So the first thing is that we actually worked on the company and the product for almost one year before the ICO. So we made a decision we're going to use an, an ICO as a fund, fundraising instrument very quickly. And by the way, everybody advised me against it. Like every single partner that we brought on board they said, we shouldn't do it like this. This is not the way to do it. And even internally, I had to spend time convincing the team to, to do it. Uh, but, but before the ICO, it was like a year of work and money that we invested into building this. And we were quite lucky because, you know, I sold my previous um, company for around $21 million. Uh, and we could afford to bootstrap it to that point, right? So there's... There's this element of, you know, the work you put in before you actually um, run the, uh, the fundraising process. And it's not only uh, like this for us. I mean, I'm not sure whether people realize this, but uh, CZ has been working on, uh, on, his, uh, on the exchange uh, trading system uh, for a long time before, you know, the name Binance was uh, even created, right? So... The moment they raised, uh, were raising funding, I mean, they, they already had a fully working exchange, a, a large team of experienced people uh, that worked together very well. So, you know, there was certain, in both cases, there was certain foundation there already, right? Um, the second uh, aspect of it is that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm simply old. <laughs> I, <laughs> Uh, I started my first company at the uh, you know beautiful age of like 21. You know, it was a long time ago. It's like, I, I, I'm, I'm no, turning 30 next month, and I feel old. I'm, I'm turning 40. So, <laughs> so no, you can't <laughs> next month. Exactly. Oh my god, you're not even that old. Yeah, so, my mother-in-law is turning 60, and she can party. <laughs> part, she can party later than me. She she I'm no I'm like more tired than her all the time. Like I'm like oh my god, like you're turning 60 and you're so like you act so young. I can't keep up with you yeah no i i wish i was like that um, um but you know i was very fortunate in life i discovered what i wanted to do very early on right so if you start building companies at age 21 in almost 20 years you'll you know like a ton of mistakes and hopefully learn from 
most of them and he also you know you just you just get better at it right so you know i've built some companies that uh that were you know uh, sold i've built some companies that were shut down you know i had you know i i raised from the goldmans and fidelities of this world and, and you know the the board conflict i run a public company <laughs> with a thousand people you've right? been through all this shit yeah 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 so once you do this for this, the ten thousand hour rule i mean this this thing is like spot on it's probably more like twenty thousand but uh, uh you know for a slow learner like me but uh eventually you get there and things that uh that used to be extremely difficult they just become uh, like you know natural and uh and you know i just i'm very passionate about building companies and i've uh i think there is nothing more satisfying uh in your professional life than uh figuring it all out it's like playing a 5d chess making it all work for the customer for the shareholders you know where where the market is your ultimate boss, right? Not screwing up the culture. You know. This is just, once you make it work, and you can see the people are using the product, you know, they're happy, and it's, and it's a profitable business. This gives so much satisfaction, it's really addictive. If you do it, if you get it done from scratch, like once in your life, you would really want to do it again. Um, it's just very satisfying. You think so? Yeah. That's, you know, this is like the whole, you, you could probably agree with me. It's like you do a startup, it becomes successful. Um, you have an exit opportunity, you, you exit or something, you know, whatever happens, you, um, you become the chairman and someone else runs it. And now you're like kind of not mm. involved in day to day anymore. And you're like, I'm never doing it again. I'm taking a vacation. And three months later, you're, you're finding a new company. See, that's what I thought. Right. So, <laughs> uh, like, you know, and, uh, in my previous experience, right. I had like, I think, 14 days uh, break between my last company and this one. Like literally on the 14th day, the new company was incorporated. <laughs> so I just, uh, I always tell my wife who, uh, uh, you know, sometimes she, she's all those, she, she sees all those ups and downs, right? And I always tell her that I'm sorry, but this is an incurable disease. You just you just can't do anything yeah. else. That's the way the startup works. Yeah. So I mean, tell me about um, the future of the company and what what you're trying to do down the road. Your your big roadmap. Yeah. So um, hmm. there's a lot of good stuff on the roadmap, but you know you can think about um, us as the company that wants to really drive adoption, right? So build. Uh, products that are useful for the cryptocurrency user first, but once we saturate this uh, this niche, we will be the guys who push the envelope and expand the market. Now we have about 50 million people in this market today. We always think about what can we build next to take it to 100 million, to 500 million. So we've got, uh, we're already kind of done with our card product. We're just launching different regions and, you know, pretty soon, uh, we're going to be everywhere and uh, that's kind of that already works and it's done we just need to continue shipping cards uh, every day but we're also building a, a public chain which is basically at a high level a visa visa alternative you know visa doesn't process okay so uh, this is the next level this yeah. is some next level infrastructure yes um that you got going on here right now. Yes. And, you know, there's uh, there's a ton of improvements in our existing products. You know, we've got, um, we've got a robo-advisor for crypto. We've got the, uh, the, the lending product. We've got the interest product. We've got the basic trend trading functionality, right? All these products require constant work, like, and, and there's always some something new. Like, I'll tell you what we're releasing, like, tomorrow. Uh, we have a feature which is basically a Venmo for crypto. So now, you know, if, if you are in this industry, right, and you want to onboard more, more, more friends to, to, to join this, uh, this beautiful space, uh, when you owe them money and you need to pay them back, just don't Venmo them, right? Just pay them back in crypto. And our app will facilitate that and you can earn rewards like, you know, cashback on those transactions and the UI is instantaneous, it's fluid. Um, so, you know, just, just those kind of, uh, 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 products that are, you know, 
this, they all start small. But essentially, you know, in the next three years, maybe they'll bring millions of new people into this space. But they're, they're banking products. Like, let's let's be real. Like, that's you're, you're kind of building out all these products now that banks are providing or supposed to be providing. And that's, that's awesome. So look, I mean, the, the, the entire banking uh, suite of products, we're, we're, we're basically, we're there today. We'll continue improving on these. Um, and you know, my view is uh, that if you fast forward three to, three to five years, I mean, all, all this type of products that run today on, on crypto that are a banking alternative, you'll need to be fully regulated like a bank. So we're building all the infrastructure to prepare for that. I'm on your website now as you're talking, and I'm just looking through crypto.com, and um, your your cards are very. Um, this is actually not what I wanted to ask you, but I'm I'm very interested, and I want to get actually your black card because I book on Airbnb and Exper- Expedia like all the time, and then also so I get a 10% rebate on that, and then I get. 5% back in MCO rewards. So, I mean, that's a significant amount of money. Oh, it's a, it's a good product. Yeah, it's a great product. How do you do that? Okay, we just take the strategy of um, Amazon Prime, right? So, does um, does Amazon make money of their two-day free shipping? Mm. Not on day one. Uh, no, okay, so it's long-term. Yeah. So, we use this as, as a customer acquisition strategy, and uh, uh, we onboard a lot of high-value customers, and they use our, our other products, and we monetize for things like lending. So it's, uh, it, you know, we don't make money on every single transaction, uh, but we, uh, uh, this is going to be a very profitable business long-term. Uh, and, and, you know, this, this kind of strategy um, is not easy for people to replicate. Which is important. It's not. You're 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 trying to get uh, users on the platform and then eventually be able to create other monetization strategies for them. Yeah. So it's like a loss leader. And then how does the um, the staking benefit? Is you're offering eight percent with an MCO stake? How does that work? Yeah. So you can um, you can stake and so just you know if you believe in Bitcoin, you can. Uh, uh, deposit Bitcoin to, into our own product and earn interest in Bitcoin. Uh, if you uh, if you you know believe in Ethereum, you can do the same with ETH and uh, and and so on and so forth. We currently have like I think ten different cryptos that we support on this product. Um, so this is for guys who uh, you know believe in a, in a particular digital asset and want to grow it. And uh, how do we pay for this? It's with our lending product, where people pay eight to twelve percent uh, interest rates, um, and you know, this kind of we we earn a couple hundred basis points spread between those two. It's unbelievable. Again, you know, this is uh, this is a, um, something that grows really fast, uh, and there's clearly demand for it, uh, and we're just continuing to improve on these products like every two weeks you see some pretty good releases what's the what's the crypto industry in hong kong and in china right now that's a a very good question actually uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, large companies in crypto space in hong kong crypto.com we've got uh, around 160 people in the team right now um uh, over a hundred of, of these guys uh, on our team are based in Hong Kong, but you know there are other companies. So Block One's got their uh, HQ here. There is uh, IOHK, which uh, you know, uh, which is based Cardano. Charles, yeah, Charles. Yeah. Uh, you've got uh, ANX. They have like two hundred people, uh, and you've. Bitspark. There's a lot, basically, like a lot of good companies here, and I think you know this is a function of, um, you know, there's a lot of action in crypto space, generally speaking, in Asia, right? And if you look at Asia, not much in the U.S. anymore. It, it largely left the U.S. There aren't very, very many companies that can compete here in the U.S. anymore in crypto. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a it's a fast pace space, and you know, a regulatory environment in the U.S. is not the easiest 
um, you know, if uh, I don't even know how much we spent on legal advice to launch our products in the US, but it's just the numbers are insane. I mean, and you just how difficult is it to work with regulators and banks in in Asia? Are they more open to, to working? Are they open to listening? You, you would think that they're more conservative, actually. It really depends. There are obviously, you know, there's uh, there are differences between different markets and there are differences between different uh, banks. Uh, our number one rule when dealing with regulators is, you know, we we prefer we don't want to be in a situation where regulators approach us first. <laughs> so uh, always be proactive. You know, meet with people, explain your business and how you run a proper shop, and then things or fine. Uh, generally speaking, as, as things are today, if I were to pick a place to start this business again, I would still pick Hong Kong because uh, you've got access to all the infrastructure here, you know, of banking and talent that comes from a you know, bank and hedge funds, which is important in, in an industry where, where trading plays such an important role. Uh, you've got uh, plenty of compliance people that you could hire from banks. And You've got even a bigger engineering pool next door in China, and the whole industry. I mean, in terms of like trading volumes and everything, it's there's a lot of projects that are in base in Asia. So I think this is the place to be. Do you think it's going to move from Hong Kong to Singapore with the the whole political uh, upheaval that's happening right now? So you know, I think you know Singapore is a natural beneficiary of um, this uh, little pickle that we find ourselves in right now here in Hong Kong. But I've been here since 2003. And if there's one thing that I've learned is that you never bet against Hong Kong people. These are a very gritty bunch. Uh, They're very resilient and they always get back on their feet faster than anybody would expect. So we are now in August 2019. Things, you know, especially if you watch the news, and we do watch the news, um, things look quite dire. But let's have this conversation 12 months from now. Uh, Things will be fine. Hong Kong will be fine. And even though some people, you know, will move their capital to Singapore temporarily, some people, maybe they'll even move their operations. Hong Kong will do just fine. This is just such an amazing place to work and do business. It's so dynamic. I absolutely love it. So, I will. But how does everything kind of play out? How do you see China is not going to stand down? Um, and then this is just going to show people are afraid to keep their money in Hong Kong because eventually China could take it or could arrest your staff or something. I mean, that precedent is there now. How do you go against that? Look, these are very complex issues, and I'm not sure we have enough time allocated today on the show to to resolve these. <laughs> I probably not. But, no, I, I guess uh, I'm looking at it from a crypto perspective. Yeah, from the crypto perspective, hmm. I guess I was trying to see like is the is what's going on right now kind of like a function or uh, a good parallel to, to the crypto space because um, over the past few years, China has made it more difficult. Crypto as an industry has nothing to worry about in in terms of you know, what's what's happening here. Absolutely not. And the Chinese government, you know, historically has been very clear that you know what their concerns are around crypto. Number one is uh, people using it to um, move money cross border and avoiding uh, capital flow controls, and that's that's their number one concern. And number two is uh, people abusing the technology to conduct illegal fundraising activities in mainland China, which negatively affects the retail investors, right? So those are the two key areas. And uh, eventually, uh, the Chinese government will uh, figure out those two areas, and then they'll gradually relax it, gradually, right? But these things, comparing to what we're dealing with Hong Kong right now, the, the, the the crypto stuff is just uh, very simple to solve, and it's it's a non-issue, literally. So, That's good to hear. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I, I remain an optimist that things will be just fine, uh, provided that you know, we, we see some wisdom. 
Um, I was curious, how did you end up purchasing the crypto.com domain name? How did that go about? Yeah, so it's actually an interesting story. Like, So we were looking to launch our card product uh, in, in a large event in Singapore in March 2018. And for reasons of you know dealing with large corporates, we were late. We were very upset that we missed the date and we thought, okay, as a company, we need to be in control of our destiny. So while we you know, will continue to work with large partners to launch the products that people want, the long-term strategy needs to change. And we decided to build uh, a, a new payment network that allows anybody to pay and be paid in any crypto anywhere, literally instantly and for free. So that's, uh, that's the public chain that we're working on. And we wanted to be the answer to the question, can I pay with crypto? You know, you, you kind of imagine the future, right? You know, you go into a store you know, and there's a sticker next to the cashier when you want to pay, right? What should it say? And it's, it, it looked to us like, you know, crypto.com is a good idea, right? So then I, you know, I, how I do this stuff is actually quite simple. I just went to the website, tapped in crypto.com, pressed enter, and I see... An ICO warning from Professor Blaze, because <laughs> he is one of these guys who, you know, spent half of their life telling people that uh, crypto stands for cryptography and not cryptocurrency, and, you know, and he's <laughs> against in using this as, you know, as, a, as an investment vehicle and all this stuff, right? So um, I sent him a message, and I convinced him to part ways with the domain uh, convince him that we will take good care of it. What did he say? Was he like yeah. against it at first or he was okay with uh, it? So, you know, so, so, you know, there were probably like 200 people who approached him since 2016 to, to buy this domain. And some of the people were very persistent, like calling him at the university. I think there's a, there's a story from The Verge that I ended up reading later, uh, talking about, you know, how I always told people to... <clears throat> Uh, go away impolitely in, in uh, because he's not interested in selling it. And he actually held the domain since 1993, so for 25 years. As always, you know, people have their concerns uh, and you just need to put yourself in their own shoes, in their shoes, and then you know, understand what the concerns are and try to address them. And I think we are pretty good at that. And eventually we reached the agreement that made sense for everybody. So. That's amazing. Congratulations. It's it's hard dealing with sometimes with people who are emotional. Um, uh, I think, you know, um, specifically in the, in the academia, there's a lot of very strong personalities uh, who are sometimes a bit quirky and not easy to deal with. But, you know, but again, it's about you know, understanding the other side and what the concerns are and provide real solutions. And we've, uh, we, 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 use, we use this type of approach to every single uh, partnership that we strike, every deal that we make. You know, we just try to understand the other side and, and make it work for everyone. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually, people always ask, you know, how much did you guys pay and all this stuff. We never, we never disclosed this. It was a part of our commitment. But I think that we've got a great deal because... You know, if you look at where crypto is going to be in five years or 10 years, you know, guys like Facebook coming in. And, I mean, this is just going to be a, a, a priceless uh, URL, a priceless URL. So I'm very happy that we've done it. I agree with you. And so on that note, where do you see crypto in five years? Where do you see Bitcoin? Where do you see the whole industry? It's an excellent question. I mean, the space is professionalizing at a pace that is incredible. I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of capital that was raised, and there's uh, there's so many talented people in this space building great stuff every day. It's really hard to predict. It's just like you know, and if it was like I don't know, two thousand two or two thousand three, you know, just two years after the bust. And then, you know, you, you ask someone, you know, what's going to happen in 2009? And are we going to be able to predict that an, uh, a company like Uber is going to come in and is going to change transportation forever uh, on top of this, uh, the, the internet technology? And will people be able to predict, uh, you know, the, the rise of iPhone? It's hard to predict. I think it's going to impact everybody's lives. It's going to be really big. It's, uh, there's going to be, there's definitely 
going to be a company that the size of uh, you know, Google or Facebook or Amazon coming out of this space uh, simply because uh, blockchain allows you to disrupt uh, the, the, the largest business in the world, the business of money. I'm not saying crypto.com is going to be that company, but I, I, I believe that in the current environment, there's an opportunity for this kind of company to be built simply because, you know, the, the large Chinese companies like Tencent and Alibaba are not playing in uh, this game other than from R&D standpoint, but they're not playing it uh, full on because of the political environment. And on the other side uh, of the um, market in the West, uh, large U.S. players are going to be slowed down by regulators. We've seen this with Libra. So there is an opportunity for someone to build something really impactful. And on, in terms of the, um, the the user experience and the products, you know, I think uh, people will go back to basics, and you know, you will see a lot of products that are you know 100% non-custodial, uh, where people control their money truly. They they control the keys, and they with the same level of service that they see today with custodial services, uh, so same speed, you know, similar speed, same cost, same UX, UX but uh, truly living up to this dream of decentralization. So I, I think this, 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 is, this is going to happen. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait. And I think we're all very fortunate to be a part of this. We have like front row seat and, you know, we can contribute a little bit. It's still the early days, no? It's super early days. I mean, it's just so early. It's so early, it's ridiculous. Like, I'll tell you a funny story, okay? So, uh, just um, uh, a friend of mine from the university, who I haven't been in touch for a few, with a few, a few years from, back from Poland, messaged me, you know, that, you know, uh, asked me about, you know, how, how do you move Bitcoin from China to Europe, right? And he actually wanted to get a hardware wallet and fly there and, you know, and fly back. I mean, this is the level of understanding from people outside of the industry about cryptocurrency and how it works. I mean, we've got so much work to do. It's just, it's ridiculously early. Your friend from university should get involved in the crypto space now. You see people coming over to the space and and wanting to work in in, in, in crypto instead of, uh, instead of whatever else they were doing now. Do you see that happening? It's an easy sell now. Yeah, it's an easy sell now. It, 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 it used to not be. It used to be a very difficult sell. It, it's uh, see, okay. So this is an interesting thing, right? So obviously the macro environment helps, right? And when uh, uh, people who are uh, not used to the volatility of this market, when they see, like, you know, oh my god, this thing went down ten percent. You know, it's the end of the world, right? This there's just people who don't understand and don't have, didn't go through this up and downs you know, for three cycles. They just don't don't get it, right? Um, but there's the other aspect of it, and that's more like company by company. At crypto.com, probably between 60 and 70% of all the people in the company come from personal referrals. So we've got 160 people right now, and their number one task is to think every day, who is the best person that I ever worked with, and how do I bring them on board? And their number two task is, to protect our culture. So, you know, if, 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 God forbid, we make a hiring mistake, we need to correct it. And it's everybody's responsibility to make sure that every single person on the team lives and breathes our culture and, and values. And when you, it makes it much harder to, and, and, and it takes longer to build team this way. But if you remain disciplined about this approach, um, then attracting talent becomes much easier. And it's actually your culture becomes your competitive advantage. Uh, I love because, it. Because people talk. I mean, you don't have to really advertise because, because people will, will, will talk about how do you run your company, you know, how, uh, uh, what is this business about, how are you making a difference, you know, how do we treat our customers. Um, I view this as a real competitive advantage. And especially in our uh, business, which is very complex. We've got so many product lines, there's regulatory complexity, different markets, you know, competitive environment is changing every day, new technology coming out and all this stuff, right? Uh, you need to have a team. These guys, 
you know, at the level at which we're hiring, everybody's got, you know, the experience, the network, and the, the skill set, right? But these guys also need to gel very well. There needs to be chemistry. And on the team, they need to like working together, right? You need to love what you're working on, but you need to love working with the, with the people around you. And if you have this, and if you are really disciplined about maintaining this, and if you make a mistake, you, 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 know, you raise your hand and say, okay, that was a bad idea. Let's just roll this one back. If you have this That's attitude, the best way to run a company. Yeah, then, then, then attracting talent is really, really much easier. I've learned the, the hard way from my, my previous ventures that you know, if you don't manage your culture, two years later, your culture will be managing you and it is impossible to reverse. So we've spent so much time uh, since day one thinking about how not to screw it up. Spoken like a true visionary. Chris Marshalik, thank you so much for coming on the show. Crypto.com, very interesting thoughts and ideas that you gave me today. And I'm like, I'm on your website now and I'm downloading the app and I'm getting your Visa card and I'm going <laughs> to deposit some Bitcoin. I'm going to start using every product line now because I'm really excited about it. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Charlie. It was uh, a great conversation. Have a great day. New episodes go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. EST. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter, Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. See you next week.